We're going to pick it up where we left off. We, last week in the 33rd chapter, we covered verses 1 through 6, where the children of Israel had to come to the place where they desired God's, God's presence more than they desired His blessings. Right? And you and I have to come to that same place where we desire God's presence more than we desire His blessings. We all appreciate God's blessings. Amen? I woke up this morning pain-free, and when that happens for me, I'm very happy. How about some of you adults that can agree with me, right? It doesn't happen for me every day. Friday night, I didn't sleep hardly at all. But last night, I slept like a rock, which I wouldn't have expected after being at a baseball game, because the seat was like a rock there, you know? But when, I, when the Lord blesses, I'm really happy about it, very, very happy about it. But I also experience God's joy much more so just focusing on His presence. And that's what God said, look, last week we covered, He said, I'm going to go ahead and keep my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I'm not going with you. And the people wailed. And I think about our own church. If God says, Tim, here's the deal, I'm going to bless your church, but I'm not going to be with you. Well, if God's not going to be with us, what do we really have? Right? It, that's like the church of Sardis. They had a lot of stuff. Everything was happening. Wheels were moving. All the fancy fanfare of, and Jesus said, but you're a dead corpse because I'm not with you. And so we never want to have God's blessing, not have God. Say, look at all the things God's provided for me. What's your walk with God? I don't have one. But look what all he's done for me. And so they desired his presence. We'll pick it up in the seventh verse here, Exodus chapter 33, starting with verse 7. I'm just going to read verses 7 through 11. And Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose. And each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door." So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Father, we ask again for the ministry and the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, only you can make your word come alive. Yes, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, but you quicken it. And we ask that your spirit would speak to the hearts of each and every person, myself included, Lord. We all need to hear not from a man, but to hear from the man Christ Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Getting Closer. <laughs> Getting Closer. What do I mean by that? It's interesting. Moses, I think that if you study the life of Moses you can come to the conclusion God said he was the most humble man on the face of the earth at, at that time. He was the one man, the only man uh, that we know of in Scripture that fasted two times for 40 days in the presence of God, having neither water or food. 
He was given the Ten Commandments not once, but twice. And so Moses in his time was very likely, most probably, the man that had the closest walk with God of any man on the face of the earth. And in every time in history, we can look down through history, and there's different times where different men and women have had a closer walk than their peers. Enoch was such, right? Enoch was so close to the Lord, what did he do? He walked up into heaven with God. Noah had a closer walk with God than any man on the earth at his time. Paul probably had the same. But it's interesting that a man like Moses, and really each of the great men and women in the Bible, the people that are closest to God want to get closer. The people that are closest to God don't think they're close enough. The people that are closest to God pursue Him even more. And you would think, well, Moses, really, how much closer can you get? You were just on the mount, you were on Mount Sinai with the Lord 40 days, and now you decide that you're still not close enough, that you're going outside the camp, taking your tent and pitching it way outside so you can be in the presence of God. You already have the presence of God. The rest of us are threatened not to have the presence of God. And we see this example of this desire on Moses' part for even more intimacy than he already has. It reminds me, Jesus said, the first time, when I first got saved, I remember when I read this verse, and you guys have heard me say this before, because some of the verses that Jesus, some of the things that Jesus say are hard to understand. You ever notice that when you first read them? Matter of fact, the people, they like, he speaks in parables, we don't know what he's talking about. He would have to explain the parables. But he said one thing. I remember when I first got saved back in 1995, and I was reading my own Bible, and I come across this verse that Jesus said, To him who has, more will be given. But him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And though that verse has a lot of depth and a lot of width, we could actually, there's, that verse like many other verses, have duality, multiplicity in the verse. You could actually apply it in a number of ways, but one of the ways we can apply it is the same way as we look at Moses' life. To him who has, more will be given. Did Moses have a deep walk with God? Yes. But because he had a deep walk with God, God was going to give him an even deeper walk because he desired more. Paul said it this way. He said, not that I've already attained. But yet Paul wrote most of the New, you know, New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament, had a walk with the Lord, was caught up into the third heavens probably when he was stoned at one time. And yet this walk, this deepness, but Jesus said to the man who does not have, in other words, doesn't desire God, even that will be clenched and taken away. But when we have that walk and we desire more, God will actually give it. See, even though Moses' walk with God was maybe the closest of anyone on planet Earth, you know, Moses is like here, and then God is still you know, somewhere at the moon. Everybody else is like about here, right? It's not, there's this immeasurable distance between how much God can still reveal himself to man, even if you've walked with him like Enoch or Moses or Noah, even if you've walked at that depth, God says, you've not even, these are the mere, as he said in the book of Job, these are the mere edges of my ways. This is why we can spend an entire eternity with God and still learn about him forever. Not like 
After you're in heaven for a trillion years, you'll have learned everything. No, you won't have scratched the surface. That's hard for us to fathom, isn't it? That for all eternity, for all eternity, God will be revealing more of himself and never stop. Now, that, that goes against the grain of our intellectual capacity, just like that God never has a beginning, never has an end. But this getting closer while we're on the earth, while we are in these fleshly tents, we have the opportunity to continue to grow closer and closer and closer to the Lord. He is a rewarder, according to Hebrews, of those that diligently seek Him. Diligently seek Him. If you're taking notes, I've divided our text into three sections that we'll look at this morning. Going out, standing in, and listening to. Going out, standing in, and listening to. No alliteration this morning. Sometimes I can't find a one word that fits. Going out, standing in, and listening to. Let's look first at this going out in verse 7. Moses takes his tent. He goes outside the camp. Well outside the camp. Now, in the context of what we looked at last week, remember that God has come to Moses, as we already addressed, and I'm going to fulfill my promises, but I'm not going with you. And then the people wail, they mourn, this is bad news, we can't go forward without God. Even though he said, I'd go before you, I'd drive out your enemies, I'll take care of the bad guys that, are, that would try and harm you, I'll take care of all that, but I'm not going with you. They weep, they wail, which was a good thing. They repent, and they take off their ornaments, all of their jewelry, all their silver, in a show of humility to say, we want you more than we want anything you've given us. We want your presence. And God relents. I'll go forward. They repent. But Moses, he still has this yearning that, God, you've been gracious. I need to, uh, you know, you've been so good to us. I need to, I need to stay in the presence. I, the same holiness that I was experiencing on the mountaintop, uh, I've come back down to this sin-infested place, because it was. When he got there, remember, he got to the bottom of the hill, they were worshiping idolatry, there was sexual immorality, there was all kinds of stuff happening, and even though the Lord had cleaned the place, Moses still said, Lord, I've got to just get away and stay near you. And when he goes outside the camp, it's an opportunity for others to make yet another step closer for themselves and say, Am I willing to go outside? Am I willing to move closer to God? Am I willing to take the effort to do so? For the most part, in the ministry of Jesus, now you know, when Jesus was on the earth, I've mentioned this numerous times before, 80% of his ministry took place up in the Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, you've got to go um, several, you know, I can't remember how many miles it is, but uh, you've go north of Jerusalem, 80% of his ministry was not in Judea, which is down where Jerusalem is, and Bethlehem and those areas, but up in the Galilee where, again, people thought in those times that that was uh, the low, uh, as far as kind of the, uh, you know, the hierarchy, that was not the upper crust, nor was it the holy place. Jerusalem was the holy place, but Jesus did the majority of his ministry up there in Galilee, and not just in Galilee, he did the majority of it kind of on grassy hillsides 
outside of cities and villages. So for the most part, if you wanted to see Jesus for yourself, and you wanted to hear for yourself uh, him preach and teach, you wanted to see his power, you wanted to see him heal thousands, which he did. If you wanted to hear his wisdom, you had to go outside of Jerusalem, and you had to walk out to where he was. You had to be willing to take the time, the effort, and leave behind Jerusalem to go find the Lord. The same was true with John the Baptist. He was the forerunner to Jesus. We know that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Almost all of his ministry took place in barren, desolate areas where people would leave Jerusalem and other cities as well, and they would go out to meet him. Matter of fact, even when the Pharisees and the religious leaders came out to him, he said, who warned you of the wrath to come? Why are you even here, is what he said. But for the people that really said, I need to know, is, is God speaking through John the Baptist? Of course, God was speaking through God, John the Baptist. He was the voice of Elijah. They had to leave and go out to hear what God was saying through this man and really uh, proclaiming Christ as well. Our salvation begins with us leaving and going out. We have to leave the world, don't we? We have to leave spiritual Egypt. If we want to come to Christ, we have to leave behind the things that we were formerly in bondage to. We have to leave them behind and say, I don't want these, instead I want Christ. We have to leave them behind. We have to go outside uh, of ourselves in everything in the Christian life. There's something significant about the life of a believer is we never really, from the time of salvation forward, we never really stop going outside of ourselves, do we? It's a constant, what is it called? Dying to self, isn't it? Always dying to self. And it's amazing that we never really completely finish that battle, do we? This week, maybe you died to several things that God just laid on your heart and you said, all right, Lord, I give in. I'll go outside of myself. I'll go outside of the camp. I'll follow you to this place. I'll follow you in what you're asking me to do. I'll die to my own will. And next week, God knocks again. It never really ends, does it? That God continually is shaving off, bringing us closer, bringing us closer, bringing us closer. Moses, on the mountain for 40 days, you couldn't possibly need to get any closer than that, and yet he does. I'll go outside, Lord. I'll pursue your presence. So our Christian life. God's always calling us out of our convenience. We love convenience, don't we? We love convenience. God says, I'm going to call you out of convenience. Because convenience takes our mind away from God, whereas when we come out of convenience, we have to rely on Him. He takes us out of convenience. He takes us out of our comfort zone. We're always looking for just to pamper ourselves and to comfort ourselves. And we see the opposite. John the Baptist was not that way. He was a man that wore camel skin and he ate what? Locust and honey. Those were not comfortable things. He lived in the wilderness. All the prophets of old did this because they learned. They weren't doing this to impress the population. Look how holy I am. See my camel skin? See the honey I eat? I just grab a hive. I shake the bees off it. I, I throw a little bit in my mouth. If I see a locust, they're delicious. Try them dipped in honey. 
It wasn't like he was, John the Baptist was doing this to impress people. He was doing this because God says, you have to go out. You have to go outside of yourself. John the Baptist might have been smart enough to be a rich accountant. And God says, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go outside yourself. Uh, Well, what if I preach this message and lose my head? That is what will happen. That's exactly what happened. He He said his life, I'll just go ahead and lay it aside for the Lord. The Apostle Paul talked about this too, that everything, he looked at the past as all rubbish. That Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, as a matter of fact, to live as Christ and to die as what? Gain to go outside. That's the opposite of the world. The world says grab all you can out of life. Grab everything you can out of life. And Moses had that opportunity too because we know in the book of Hebrews it said he esteemed the riches of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt. Moses walked away from bank. Moses had it all. He had the pyramids. He had the the favor. He had the kingly royal position. He left all that and Even after leaving all that, God continually, 80 years old, 100 years old, is always calling him into a closer and more separated life and more dedicated life, and he's doing the same to you and I if we're actually listening. He'll keep calling us out of our comfort zone, our own wishes, our own desires. How about this one? Our preconceived notions. God wants to obliterate those. Because a lot of times our preconceived notions are not from God, they're from ourselves, our own opinions, or other men. Our flawed opinions, how about that one? Into the truth of God. You know, I I find sometimes that some of my opinions, uh, God, I love when God shows me how flawed my own opinions are about something. I think I have all the facts, and God says, you don't have half the facts. You don't have a third of the facts. And I'll learn that I have to remember that my information is this much, and God sees it all. He says, I'm calling you to a deeper walk with me. We're forever, as believers, submitting and leaving our place of perceived rest. Perceived rest. We try and create the most comfortable, restful place for ourselves, and God says, that's not it. You're back to pursuing American happiness. Pursue me, and I, Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to, in our minds, we say, well, this can't possibly work. Going outside the camp, living in a tent way outside in the dusty desert there, how is this going to do anything? And yet God says, because I will come down and meet with you there. How about that? Moses, you prayed for my presence. You asked that I wouldn't leave your presence, and I'll give you my presence, but I want you to go outside the camp. I want you to be an example to everybody else. I want you to press into me. I want you to pursue me. Psalm 63, 8 says, My soul follows close behind you, and your right hand upholds me. My soul follows close behind you. This pursuit of God... A.W. Tozer wrote a famous book. How many of you have heard of A.W. Tozer's book, Pursuit of God? So you, you know that it's one of the most famous uh, writings that he ever wrote, uh, which, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but he wrote that on an all-night train trip in, um, in the 40s from Chicago going down to Texas. So he wrote almost the entire book in the middle of the night on a train 
God just was pouring, the Spirit was just pouring into him and just, just kept writing feverishly everything that, that was coming to his head, verses, things God was showing him. But he says in the opening chapter of that book uh, uh, called Following Hard After God, which comes from that Psalm 63, 8, he said, we pursue God, listen to this, it's important, because our pursuit of God starts with God, not with us. He says, we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. No man can come to me, says our Lord, except the Father which has sent me draw him. He goes on to say the impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after God. I know that's so true in my life. I would never pursue God had he not pursued me first. How about you? Moses' life is a great illustration of this. When he was a baby, he did not say, hey, build me a little uh, wicker basket thing and put it in the Nile. He couldn't talk. God did it. Then when he goes into the wilderness after he runs from Egypt, he's out there tending sheep, and who comes to him in a bush? God does. He doesn't say, I'm going to go find God in a burning bush today. God comes to him in a burning bush and says, Moses, Moses. So God calls Moses. Now, once God calls Moses, Moses responds and starts to pursue back, right? It's kind of like a, a relationship. At first, maybe uh, two people, that be, before they start courting, maybe the man prayed and says, I, I see, I would like to pursue and even marry this woman. And after pursuing, eventually, if it's mutual, she'll pursue back, at least affectionately, right? And this is what God does. He came and found us. He pursued us just like he did Moses in the burning bush. And then we pursue him all the days of our life, because he's the one, I like the way A.W. Tozer put it, he put the impulse in us. There is no, Paul talked about this, in his flesh, nothing good dwells. Paul said, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. If there's any desire you have for God, you didn't put it there. Jesus told Peter, Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. You couldn't even desire God if God didn't give you the desire. But now that he has given you the desire, what will you do with it? Will you quench it or fan the flame? Right? That's what drawing closer, going out is, going outside the camp, willing to say, God says, I want you to follow hard after me. I want you to go outside of your comfort zone. I want you to spend time with me in prayer. I want you to spend time with me worshiping me. I want you to spend time with the people of God. But I'd rather, God says, I don't care what you'd rather. This is what I want you to do. And then we say, yes, Lord, I'll take the tent and go here or there or wherever it is. I'll leave Ur of the Chaldeans if you want me to go to Canaan, wherever that may be, to follow after you. Now the question is, God is pursuing us, but are we pursuing him? We know he's pursuing us. He's pursuing you because you're here this morning. He's pursuing you because you've actually heard his word. If you've heard nothing that I say, if I only read these verses, he's pursuing you. He's pursuing me. Are we truly pursuing him? This process, it originates from God, but it results in this humble obedience we see in the life of Moses, humble obedience in what is so clearly evidenced throughout his life, but what God wants in our own life is to humbly submit and obey. 
Because really, is there is no other way, right? There's no other way to be close to God. There's no other way to grow. You can't say, I want to be close to God, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. God says, it doesn't work that way. You yield, you follow after me, you listen to my voice, you come outside of your own desires. You have to be willing to lay them down, put them aside, and really crucify the flesh and come and follow me, and I will meet with you in ways thou knowest not. Some people are willing, some people are willing to work 80, 100 hours a week to become wealthy, aren't they? And we, the world looks up to these people. If they're interviewed on 60 Minutes, people ooh and ah from their couches. Wow. A billionaire. And what an impress! He works 100 hours a week. Wow. What will that profit one second after you die? God wasn't impressed, by the way. God was like, you need to work to fulfill your needs. You need to work to provide for your family. If a man will not work, a man will not eat. Paul was clear on that. Work is required. God hates laziness. But if your work is to impress the world, if it's pride, if it's arrogance, if it's wealth, if it's greed, if it's all of these things, God says it's all going to come to nothing. People will work like crazy to acquire more stuff. And it's not just wealthy people. Middle-income people, low-income people, high-income. It doesn't matter where you're at. If your God is yourself and your stuff, you're pursuing the wrong things. Again, that's the whole Time Magazine article last week, the pursuit of happiness. Not Everyone's pursuing happiness, but they pursue it in different ways. When I had no money... And I was like 19 in my mattress in Miami, Florida, or maybe I was 21 when we were in college, and my mattress was on the floor. My pursuit of happiness was different than when I was 35. But nonetheless, I had in my mind things that I thought would make me happy. How about you? You remember that? You remember those days? Your pursuit might be different, but it still was in error. Whether it was an error as a 25-year-old or a 35-year-old or a 55-year-old. People will pursue all these things. They're pursuing so-called security. That there's no such thing as security. You could acquire it all and then die of a massive heart attack right when you're ready to enjoy it. This happens all the time. They're pursuing a carefully, a carefully planned retirement only to never passively enjoy it. And God says, all these things you're pursuing and I've asked you to pursue me. He said, your Father in heaven knows the things you need. Pursue me. Come outside of, your own, come outside of the world's system. Come outside of the world's checklist. The world has a checklist for every age, every demographic, every person. God says, ignore their checklist and follow mine. Right? The world will tell no, you can't do it that way. You must do it this way. And then you'll be successful. And you'll be happy. And God says, No. You won't. You'll find rest in me. Jesus said it this way in John 6, 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. No one on earth can give you what Jesus can give you. People die to have peace and can't find it. He gives peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. I'll never forget when Sam Nadler uh, 
explained uh, the first time I'd ever heard Sam preach down in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, another one of our Messianic Jewish friends, those of you that know Sam, and that verse, Prince of Peace, it means basically in the Hebrew, it's a similar concept of you turning on a spigot and it just flowing. Only Jesus can turn on the spigots of peace in an individual heart between two nations that hate each other, between people that don't like each other, between a marriage that doesn't have peace. Only Jesus is the prince of it. Everything else is a fake facade and doesn't really measure up. It has a temporary peace. This is why false teachers will say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Whereas Jesus provides the real, genuine peace. But he gives it only when we pursue him according to his commandments, not according to our desires. This going outside to meet with the Lord is what Moses was doing, doing exactly what the Lord laid on his heart. And even if it was uncomfortable to anyone, even in his own family, says, this is what I must do because the Lord is calling me, I must go. Let's look at this next part, standing in. So it was that whenever Moses went out of the tabernacle, all the people rose. Each man stood in his tent door and watched until he had gone into the tabernacle, verse 8. It goes on to say in verse 10 that the people would stand there and they'd rise and worship. They would rise and worship. And then in the ninth verse, the the pillar of cloud would descend, stand over the door. That's where Moses would hear the voice of the Lord. What does it mean to us? The people... They knew Moses had gone outside the camp. They themselves, remember, they had just repented. They had mourned. They had asked for God's presence in their life. They didn't have the closeness relationship that Moses had, but they knew they desired a closer walk than they had. And they knew that they were completely off the rails not long ago when they were worshiping a golden calf. And by the way, when God has forgiven you of something, you really, really are thankful for his presence. Amen? We've all been forgiven things we don't deserve, that we just flat out do not deserve. It creates in us a good and humble heart. I was listening this week, um, some some of you may listen to Dr. R.C. Sproul sometimes on the radio, and I know he has some different doctrinal things in Calvary Chapel, that, that's fine. He's a great teacher. He loves the Lord. And, uh, but he, was, he, he shared something that I thought uh, was really, really interesting. Uh, in, he talking about when he was a college professor. And as a college professor, he had a class of like 150 in this one class. And they had three exams in a semester. Uh, or no, three term papers that were due in the semester. Those of you that are still in college, uh, you may be living this right now. I remember term papers, too. I was really good at... You remember how A.W. A. Tozer wrote his all night in a train? That's kind of what I would do the night before term paper was due. A uh, couple of cup of coffee, whatever that no-dose stuff is, and, uh, and just the, the thoughts would come rolling out. And this was before the Internet and everything. You had to actually had to stack of books, and you had to find stuff. Well, he was talking about the fact that he had this class of 150 kids, and they had three papers due, one in the first part of the semester, one in the middle, and one at the end, and he gave everyone fair warning, there's going to be three, uh, three term papers due, these are the dates, if you don't submit them on time, you'll receive an F. And so the first one comes around, and there's like 15, 20 students that, that beg and plead after class that I would have had it done, but this happened, and this happened, and this happened, he said, all right, all right, all right. 
All of you have like a five-day extension. I don't remember what he gave, but some extension. They all got the papers written. They got the same, you know, they were graded the same as everybody who submitted on time. Paper number two comes around, same thing. There's another 15, 20. There's always people that, that, that think the deadline doesn't apply to them, right? And they beg, and, you know, we, we had homecoming, there was a dance, and there was this, and there was that, and we had to make a float and all this stuff. And you're like, okay, 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 you'll get another extension. And they did. They got an extension. Then he said, all right, whole class, here's the deal. Third one's coming up. There will be no extension, none. If you do not submit it, there will be an F, right? Third paper comes around. Sure enough, there was less this time, I don't know, nine, ten students that didn't submit it, and they come up afterwards, and they're like, you know, we know what you said, but we really, this, this, was, this was in the way. We couldn't do it, and he said, F, 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 F. And one, one young man got really angry. He said, that's not fair. He said, okay. He takes out his pen. He goes back to term paper number two. He goes, I just gave you an F for the second one, too. He said, do you want to go back to the, to the first one? He said, what you're asking for is justice. What you've been given is grace and mercy. And if you want to ask God for fairness and justice, you're barking up the wrong tree. God has constantly given us mercy. Don't ever pray to God and ask him for fairness. Ever. You do not want God to be fair with you. If he is, none of us walk out of here alive. It really makes the illustration. And the children of Israel had realized when God says, I will not go with you. But remember the first thing he said, I'm going to consume you. Remember he told Moses, I'm going to consume every single one of them. And then he relents. And then he says, okay, I won't go with them because if I do go with them, I'll still consume them. And then finally he says, okay, I'll go with them. But here's the problem with people. We start to, instead of thanking God for mercy and grace, we expect it. We expect it. Like it's our right for mercy and grace. I can miss every deadline, not do anything God asked me to do, never follow his will, never worship him, never do anything, but I should receive his mercy and grace every single time. And God says, you're barking up the wrong tree because now you want my justice and my fairness. And in that, you shall receive it. It really hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, Lord, if I've ever prayed for fairness, I never will again. And I understood the concept, and it really just, and I thought, uh, wow, that is really a great illustration of what God wants us to do. But I tell you what, when you receive God's mercy and grace, when you've received God's mercy and grace, not expecting it, right? You've done, remember when you were younger, you did something that you should have been grounded for a year, and you were petrified that you were going to receive the wrath. And all of a sudden you got mercy. Can I vacuum? Can I do the dishes? Can I wash the car? It's amazing how fast that fades though, isn't it? A week later. Why should I have to do that? What happened to the humble, thankful, thank you for your presence, thank you for the grace, because you immediately go back to expecting mercy and grace. But the children of Israel, they had received mercy and grace, and so when they see Moses, 
going out, their, their hearts are still soft, and they follow him as it were, heart-wise, they rise up. When he goes out, they get off their beds, they get off their living room floors, they get off of the dinner table, they don't have dinner tables, but whatever, you know, similar, whatever the concept, they would get up and the whole group of the family would move to the tent door, and as Moses would go out, their hearts are stirred, their hearts are stirred to also stand in the presence of God. And we have to stand up collectively and individually and put our eyes on the presence of God, fixing our eyes on the presence of Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, fixing our eyes on the Lord himself. So many people have their eyes glued and their hearts on things that are fleeting, worthless, what are you looking towards? What is your heart bent towards? What makes you stand up? What makes you take initiative? What makes you put forth effort? Is it to see God? Is it to see His glory? Because His glory would descend on the tabernacle. Moses takes the tent. By the way, the tabernacle hasn't been built yet. Moses took his tent and it became a mini tabernacle. Your house can be a mini tabernacle. Your body is to be a mini tabernacle. This church is to be a mini tabernacle with people in it or, or a couple of people or a lot of people, no matter what. But Moses takes, and takes a regular rudimentary same tent as everybody else had and it becomes the tabernacle of the Lord. They have not built the magnificent, beautiful tabernacle that they're going to build that hasn't been done yet. But Moses says, I don't even want to wait for that I want all of God now. And the people who have been forgiven of something they did not deserve, they feel compelled to also press in and see the glory of God. And some of the people would even go out to, some of them even went as far, not just the tent door, some go all the way out and follow out. And they too want to follow God wherever He may be. See, God wants to transform our lives, but we have to stand and come to Him. Now, if you can only crawl to Him, that's okay too. Whatever. Move towards the opening that God, God will make an opening. Jesus, it says they were standing in the door. Do you know one of Jesus' names is? He says, I am the what? Door. He's the door. He's the way. He's the door. Move to the door. Jesus is the door. I want to stand in Christ. How about you? When we, we want to see the presence of God, we want to see God move, we need to stand in the Lord. We have to take this positive action. Remember um, Jesus' admonishment in the garden there. You know, could you not just wait an hour? Take some effort to stand and wait on the Lord to watch for His glory, to wait till He comes down. See, sometimes we wait a long time. The 40 days they were waiting for Moses to come down. In that waiting time, instead of becoming more dependent on God, they went the other direction and they didn't want to wait any longer and they went to idolatry. You'll stand in the door until God descends, until He reveals the next step in your life, what it is He wants to do. Um, I love the fact that Moses was an example to the people. As he went out, they would observe the fact that God was speaking to him in such a way 
that his life was so separated, it was a witness to them, but his closeness to the Lord enabled them to be closer to the Lord. This is really instructive to us as parents. Moses was a parent to all the people, pastor, shepherd to all the people, but moms and dads, when your kids see you go out of yourself, when they see you serve the Lord, they're more likely to stand and rise and follow. Would you agree? Yeah, reading, you can read any statistic or any article. If, if parents are alcoholics, much greater chance the kids will be, right? If dad doesn't spend any time at home, much greater chance that the son, when he grows up, he won't spend any time at home. On and on. Parents are abusive. Kids will prop, not, not every single time, but as a general rule, whatever. So if mom and dad die to themselves and serve Christ, there's a mar- far greater chance that the kids will die to themselves and follow and serve Christ. That's why you're training up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. What a great promise, isn't it? Even if they err for a while, that they would come back. But Moses, his example of following the people, watch the example. Remember, their hearts have to be soft already. God has to pursue us first. We won't pursue him first. God has to have your child's heart first. But once God has your child's heart, they will follow your example. I love that Paul told the early church, follow my example. Paul, how arrogant of you. Follow your example? No, Paul was saying, he, no, Paul's saying, I pattern my life after Christ. It's not my blueprint is what he was saying. He's like, I, I don't have any blueprint. I just follow Christ. So when you see what I do, this is what Jesus taught the apostles and what he taught me, that you also should do. Follow these things. And Moses would say the same thing. Say, I desire the holiness of God, the presence of God. Follow me. Fix your eyes on the things of the Lord. Turn away from the things that would keep you from standing in the Lord. You know, it's good to look up to, you know, Moses was a good and faithful leader. I just mentioned, you know, one pastor that I just cited, R.C.'s teaching I heard on the radio just this week. But there's a lot of men of God that I look up to. There's women of God that God has used over the years that I read. I love Amy Carmichael's writings and how God used her in India for all those years. Are there people that you look up to in the faith? I think that's good. There should be people you look up to in the faith. I look up to K.P. O'Hannon and how God's used him that 15 new churches a day are started in India. I mentioned that on Friday night uh, with the uh, VBS closeout and the, and the parents that were here. Uh, it's good that God has given us godly examples. I thank the Lord for the Moses of the world. Don't you? That God has put people that have served well. Chuck Smith, I look up to. He didn't set out that there would be 2,000 plus Calvary chapels. He just said, I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And today, I benefit. I got saved under Pastor Bob Coy in Fort Lauderdale, who got saved under Chuck Smith. And it goes down the line because we look and say thank you for these men that have served well, and women that have served well, and we can look to their lives as good examples. But the example still is the door of Jesus. Amen? He's the example. When we stand, we're not standing in our own strength. We're standing in obedience. We're standing in humility. 
We just as well could be on our faces in humility, amen? But God lifts up. When we're humble, it says in the book of James, that he will lift you up. Now, they had fallen down, and they had weeped and wailed in repentance, but God lifted them up and said, now I want you to stand. And what did they do? They stood and worshiped. I want you to stand, look towards my presence, look to where my Shekinah glory is coming down, stand in my presence, stand as we are believers today in the door of Christ, you know, this, this word stand is mentioned a number of times in the New Testament. Philippians 4.11 says, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Colossians 4.12, stand perfect and complete in the will of God. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, therefore, brethren, stand fast. 1 Peter 5.12, testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. That's just a few. I could have read more. God wants us to stand in the Lord. Stand in his presence. Stand in worship. Stand in observing and watching him work. You know, when we watch him work, he works in us. We're not just observers and just spectators. We become part of the work. They didn't just stand at the door. At first, they were watching God descend outside the camp. But notice it didn't stop there. Each one rose and worshipped each man in his tent. This is why it's so important that you actually be in church. the, The Word of God says, Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, which is the manner of some, but even more as you see the day approaching. I already love the Lord, and yet I don't love the Lord anywhere near as much as God wants me to. I can say that as clear as can be. I know I love the Lord, and I know I don't love Him anywhere near as much as I want to or He even desires me to, but I'm pressing forward day after day. This past week at BBS, you know, when I see God move, I get more excited about God moving. And I was already excited about God moving. But that's the way it works. And I see God move, and I'm like, wow. You use just a, a rather mundane thing like VBS. They've been around for a long time. And just ordinary people and dressing up in knights and you know different other suits. And uh, Scott enjoyed his a lot more than I did. But anyway, because um, my, my uniform kept falling off. Uh, people enjoyed that. But, but God, when he works, when he moves, and we see him moving, it encourages us, doesn't it? Don't you need encouragement? Don't you need God to say, I am alive. I am he who was dead, but am now alive. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That's what he told John when he needed encouragement. And we need the Lord's encouragement, and we stand and we are encouraged by first his forgiveness, but then his presence and his power, and we see the Lord moving, and we stand And God wants us to stand and worship exactly the way they did. You know, Jesus said to the woman at the well there in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The Father came through the Son to find worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now you can't worship the Lord until you know you've been forgiven. You can't be forgiven until you know you've sinned. 
And once you have been forgiven, you then have to respond in humility and obedience, but then you are ready to worship, to kneel in worship, to stand in worship, to lie on your back in worship, wherever it may be in, in different places in life. You'll find all of those positions required. But what the Lord wants with the people here is at that time, God wants them to lay aside all the other cares. Well, we, we got this to do, we got this. God says, clear the deck. Get in your tent door and worship. You know, as believers, there's a lot of things that God wants us to clear the deck on. Where God says, I don't want the excuses. I don't want the running round. I don't want, you can't make time for it. I don't want to hear... I want you to clear things out of the way that will prevent you from standing in an open doorway of my presence. We're the, we are the obstacle. God is not, he is not hiding himself from the people. He is descending like a gigantic pillar of cloud. The only way they wouldn't see it is if they didn't want to. Amen? The only way you wouldn't see a, t- you know, you know how tall like the, the Sears Tower is in Chicago. If it's a clear day, the only way, unless you're blind, if it's a clear day, I've been to Chicago a, a couple of times, beautiful building. If it's a clear day, the only way I wouldn't see it is if I go like this. It rises above, so God is descending. The only way they wouldn't see it is if they don't want to. And a lot of people don't want to. I hope that's not us, that we would want to, that we would lay aside the things and the cares of this world, that we'd wait on the Lord. How do we do that? How do we do that? We don't have a pillar of cloud outside the building. He's given us some neat rainbows lately. That's been cool. But we wait on him. We watch for him. We stand in him in the word. You must be in the word. Every day, you've got to open the word of God. Every day. It's a form of worship. When you read the Word, it is a form of worship. When you pray, you're worshiping. When you sing, you don't have to have a good voice. God doesn't care about your good voice. If you have a good voice, praise the Lord. If you don't, sing anyway. If you don't like singing in front of people, that's fine. Go to the shower, go in your car, sing to the Lord. You know how many times the Bible says sing unto the Lord? A lot. I don't know how many. I'd have to go back and do a word search on it, but it's a lot. God wants you to sing to him. Praise him. When you do these things, he'll not only show you his glory, but he'll fill you with his glory. He'll fill you with it. And it not only will impact you, but I love what we see here in the life of Moses as we come to the last few minutes. It will not only impact you, you have an overflow that touches the lives of other people. When you're filled with the Spirit, you know, This is why Peter's shadow, he doesn't know his shadow's touching people. He's just minding his own business, singing to the Lord, let's head up to the temple to pray, let's go meet with these people, let's go share the gospel. Your shadow just touched a couple of people. Moses, your witness has got an entire community up off their feet. Moses, your worshiping has all the people worshiping. You're going outside the camp, has your children, spiritual children, going outside the camp. Some of them now are following after you and realizing, why did I ever worship a golden calf even for a day? Right? They're like, why did I worship this when it offered me no satisfaction whatsoever? 
we not only, when we stand in the Lord, will see ourselves built up and encouraged, but we will bring others to living water. Isn't that what you want to do? And it breaks my heart when I see people that say they're saved. It's one thing, and it more than breaks my heart, sometimes it makes me furious. When I see people that say they're saved, I'm saying it's one thing for you to live a life of hypocrisy and, and, act, and act like that Jesus wants you to do whatever you want, but if you teach that to your kids and they go to hell, that really bothers me. Because we never make a decision only for ourselves. Unfortunately, our decisions have consequences for everyone else, especially those God's entrusted us to our children. So the do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do lifestyle that many live, we all are guilty of it at times. Amen? I'm not saying that, that there's not a single finger. I, I've done things you know, this week. I, I, I noticed a couple little things that, that I, I had impatience about things that were just really silly. I, I actually have a lot of patience in big crisis. It's the small things that get on my nerves. I don't know why that is. And it's something that God will show me. Say, you've got a long ways to go. But there's a big difference between doing that and not admitting it and saying, hey, this is a flaw. Let's pray together. Let's resolve it, put it to rest, and move forward. That's, hypocrisy is not that you have no flaws. Hypocrisy is acting like you have no flaws. Do you understand the difference? When you have flaws and you're willing to kind of say, look, I've got these scars but God heals. That's not hypocrisy. But when you live in such a way that I, 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 I'm really, I, I love the Lord, but you don't really love the Lord, your kids will see it and they won't follow Christ. And if they follow the world and die and go to hell, that's tragic, isn't it? And they are watching. Closing with his last, this last uh, verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses, this listening to the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And we see the impact on Joshua as well. And he would not, and he would return, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of young, did not depart from the tabernacle. The young understudy is becoming the next Moses here. Isn't that interesting? He's following Moses everywhere. Elisha did the same with Elijah, didn't he? All the disciples did the same with Jesus. We need to be trained. We need to be discipled. We need to be taught. Moses is training up his replacement. But this speaking, the Lord speaking to Moses face to face, the Lord speaks to Moses. Now Moses, unlike you and I, he's not the only one in the Scripture. Moses literally heard the audible voice of God on a regular basis. Did that blow your mind? That you would actually go out to a place and the voice of God talks to you, Moses. Here's what I want you to do. Get Joshua. Go here. Go there. Do this. Amazing. Now, we actually get the voice of God, too, right here. It's all written down for us. We have his literal voice. This face-to-face, uh, by the way, is a figurative expression. We know that this is true because it's not even, a, but a few verses later, which we'll catch in our next time together, when we finish up verses 12 through 23, Moses asks to see the Lord. The Lord says, I won't show you my face. I'll show you a little bit of the backside of my glory. So we know that 
This is a figurative statement. What it means is Moses had a relationship that he, we do know he heard the audible voice of God, but his presence was so close to the Lord that it was as if they were face to face. But he couldn't see the face of God. We know this because the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, uh, 12, that no one has seen God at any time. Face to face. Because if you do, you would die. You can only, the only time we'll finally see the presence of God, literally see it, is in our perfection when we're in heaven and there's no sin. But in this present realm, no man can look at God and live. Amen? Not even Moses. But what he could experience was the Spirit of God was literally in his midst. The Spirit of God was so heavy on the place. Do you understand that term? The Spirit of God was so heavy on the place that it was as if God was face to face. And then with the voice, Moses could in his mind's eye almost make out some representation of the person of God. Probably if he saw anything, he would be seeing the Son of God who is God in himself, Jesus Christ. The person of God in the form of Christ. If he could see a face at all, it would be the face of Jesus. But God the Father's face could not be seen without a man dying because of the holiness. So in this sense, we understand that Moses had this free and open, intimate relationship, just like a husband and wife are supposed to have. And again, I think of when you think about the marriage relationship and the intimacy that God wants to give to Moses and every other person, and I've been married now for 19 years, next year will be our 20th year, I find myself, and this is a real blessing of God, I find myself more desiring to be with my wife and more in love with her at 19 years than I was at 15, and then I was at 13. Now that's the way it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to grow, grow colder, you're supposed to grow warmer. And so the longer you're with the Lord, the more Moses spends time with God, the more he loves God, not the less he loves God. The more he loves God, the better the communication. And husbands and wives, they talk about communication getting better for years. Right? I get tips on how I can be a better communicator sometimes, right? And some of them I've gotten better at. But when it comes to communicating with God, God gives us a lot of instruction on how to better communicate and walk with Him and hear His voice, because not everyone hears the voice of God. But God wants everyone to hear His voice. We see this, Moses has this relationship that's with God that's unrivaled in his day. But God is not trying to say, I just want that relationship with you. No, He wants it for Joshua too, doesn't He? And all the people. It's not that God says, I want to cor- Moses, I want you to corner the market on this intimacy with me. No, you go back to camp, I'm going to start teaching Joshua now. Each individual, God wants us to listen to his voice, hear his voice, walk in this intimacy when we come closer to God, when we press into his presence, not waiting for a crisis. We don't wait for a crisis to hear his voice. We want to hear his voice long before crisis, although crisis can be a good starting point if necessary. But it's not what we want to wait for. We want to hear his voice by pressing in and obeying what he's already told us. See, if we obey the voice we already have, the Word of God, we get to hear him speak to us in new ways, fresh ways, dynamic ways, that still small voice, that leading of the Holy Spirit. But you can't hear that if you haven't first heard 
this. Amen? I love what uh, Jared Sparks, he was a carpenter, he was a uh, school teacher, he was a pastor born in 1789. He says, when you talk, you repeat what you already know, but when you listen, you often learn something new. That's why we have to be in the presence of God. God teaches me, I don't care how many times I've read certain verses, I reread the same verses 19 you know, or 18 years after being saved, I'll reread the same verse I've been praying, and God will show me something full, fresh, and new that I hadn't seen before because I'm not talking to Him, I'm listening to Him. And if I don't listen to Him, I can't talk to you. I don't have anything worth saying if I don't hear from the Lord, and none of us do. We need to be in His presence. We need to hear the voice of the Lord. Then we have something to share with people. And if nothing else, we know that Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When we hide his word in our heart, we know we'll have something to share. We know we have something that God wants to share with the world. But Jesus, he wants us to desire him, to pursue his presence, to hear his voice. He said, my sheep hear my voice, didn't he? And I know them, and they follow me. They not only hear his voice, Moses, it's not just to hear his voice, Joshua to hear his voice, but to follow him. And as we follow him, as we obey him, as we listen to the Lord and love him above everything else, he'll speak to us new every day, more, all the time. Encourage him. You don't need someone else to pat you on the back. You'll have God. Isn't that great? You will not need someone else to pat you on the back. Those are still nice when you get them, but you don't need them. Those are just icing on the cake. You will not need them. Moses did not need anyone to pat him on the back. He already knew he had God at his back and at his front. He's his rear guard, and he's out in front. And this is what the Lord will give us as we go closer and closer to him. Let's close in prayer.